Good morning. Great to see you. Get your Bible out. Genesis 35. We're going to jump in this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, uh, take that one with you. Okay. We would love for you uh, to have a copy of God's Word, especially if you'll commit to reading it on a regular basis. And uh, man, I'm glad you're here. It's a tough Sunday morning to get up and get going. It's rainy, time change. And and I've started a new uh, political campaign. I try not to be too political from the pulpit, but I feel like if Democrats and Republicans uh, cannot come together to eliminate the time change, we can't come together on anything. It makes zero sense to me. So um, uh, we have this thing called electricity. So when it gets dark, we can turn on the lights. So anyway, um, I say we get rid of this whole thing. It's so confusing to me and I'm ready to be done with it. So uh, good morning. I'm saying I'm trying to pull us together as a country. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, be inclusive. Everybody can get rid of time change. So uh, it's great to have you. Uh, we want to look this morning at Genesis 35. And, um, and so I, um, it's going to be, I'm going to take this sermon and run it right to the New Testament. All right. And, uh, and so, and, and, and it's a teaching tool a little bit this morning. And so let me, uh, let me start here. Uh, uh, let me start with the narrative of chapter 35. And so just kind of, you know, give you the historical narrative of what we're looking at. Uh, now, again, I told you I've been, um, I'm teaching these sermons, assuming that you're reading through Genesis. You really, really, really need to be reading through Genesis because we're teaching such large chunks that we're missing so much. But Genesis 35, okay, so Jacob spends 20 years with Laban, right? He gets his wives, he gets his family, he gets his wealth. Uh, God sends him back to the promised land, all right, where Abraham was originally sent. And, and so on his way back, he, he makes amends with Laban, okay? And then last week, uh, he made amends with his brother Esau, who he had um, stolen his birthright and stolen his blessing. And so there was these family dynamics there. And, and so he's heading back to the promised land. And in chapter 35, God really kind of renews the spiritual purposes of what he has Jacob doing. All right. And he, he initially says, I want you to go to Bethel. And so Bethel is where when Jacob was leaving the promised land, okay, he stole Esau's blessing. And his mom said, you go to Laban's house. I'll send for you uh, when, when he calms down, you know, kind of thing. And so as he's heading there at Bethel, he meets with the Lord, okay, kind of the ladder to heaven kind of thing and all kinds of songs written about that. And so um, even Led Zeppelin, I think. And so um, who knows? Y'all should be listening to that stuff. So anyway, um, yeah kind of that thing. And so then uh, now he's coming back in the land and God says, I want you to go to Bethel. We're going to have a meeting. We're gonna, and, and in that meeting, he reaffirms the promises and his purposes and his worship to the Lord. Okay. So that's kind of the beginning of the chapter. In the middle of the chapter uh, of chapter 35, uh, Rachel gives birth to their last child, Benjamin, which uh, as we go forward, you see Benjamin is extremely special uh, to Jacob. And he just has kind of a special affinity towards towards Benjamin, and it might be because Rachel actually dies in childbirth. We don't know why, but, but he has a special affinity, but Rachel dies in childbirth to Benjamin. And then the final piece of the chapter is Jacob and Esau, or Israel and Esau, reunite, right? And, and Isaac dies. And so they reunite to bury their father, and it seems to be very a- uh, affable, and they seem to have a good relationship. All right, so this morning, what I want to 
focus on is, is God uh, is developing this nation, okay? So God is being faithful to his promises. Man falls into sin, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis chapter 3, man falls into sin, and then God in that in Genesis 3 makes a promise that he's going to send a savior that's going to crush the head of Satan and redeem mankind from their brokenness. And the rest of Genesis is a signpost pointing to Christ. And so that's where we're going to run with this this morning. I remember when my kids... Years ago, uh, we're playing basketball. They were playing, it wasn't rec basketball, it was upward basketball. They're playing, we're playing a local church, upward basketball. I know a lot of your kids probably do that. And, uh, and my wife was videoing and they were real young. I don't know, probably eight or nine. And, um, and so my wife was videoing, you know, our son playing, but then, and I wish I, I was going to dig the video out, uh, but it's so old, I don't even know if I have a recorder to even look at these old videos. And so, because the camera doesn't work anymore, you know, it's one of those things, you got all these tapes, you're like, what do I do with these things? But, um, and so, uh, so some of you have a business, like, oh, I'll tra- whatever. Okay, so... Um, and so we have this video, and in the middle of this game, um, there's five, so if you're not a basketball player, or you don't know much about basketball, there's five players on each team, right? And they're playing basketball. But in this particular game, there was only eight kids playing. Now, there were 10 kids on the court, five for each team, but there was only eight kids playing because two of the kids, one from each team, had developed a friendship in the middle of the game. So they're kind of face-to-face, okay? And what's happening is, is the ball goes down the one and they're walking and talking, developing this relationship. And as the ball goes down the other end, they're walking and talking this way. And literally, for two or three minutes, my wife's videotaping, and these two kids are in the middle of the court just going like this, slowly up and down, while a basketball games going on around them, right? And it was like this basketball game's like interrupting their relationship. And, um, but it was interesting to me because I think we do life like that, you know, where God wants us in the game and we're distracted by other things and, and there's things going on around us and man, here we're honed in on the wrong thing. And so everybody in this room, like, you know, do you ever meet someone or like, Hey, how's it going? You're like, you know, I'm just not that busy. Like, you know, I'm really relaxed and my calendar isn't full. Like, no, everybody's busy, right? We're all busy. Everybody's going a, a million miles an hour. And so the question that I'm going to pose to us by the end of this is, man, are we really focused on the right things, right? Or are we just busy doing the things of the world, the things that we think, and some things maybe don't matter at all, okay? And so God, in, with Jacob, reaffirms, hey, this, this is your focus. Like, this is what really matters. This is what you need to be doing. This is what you, you need to be about, okay? And so this morning, I'm going to take this passage. We're going to run to the gospel, okay? One of the questions in your small groups, okay, that you get asked every single week, and I, I think we're, we're wrestling with this and, and I'm in a good way, and, and I want us to continue to wrestle with it because it's a teaching tool. One of the questions we're asking is, how do you see the gospel narrative unfolding in this passage, okay? And so this morning, I'm, going to, I'm just going to hand deliver it to you. You, So when you go to your small group, you should just answer this question, all right? It should be super easy. But we've been saying for three years as we've been going through Genesis, Genesis is a signpost pointing to Christ, okay? And and it, so it, it, think of the Old Testament this way. If, 
if all of the Bible is showing us redemptive history from the beginning of Adam and Eve all the way to eternity future, right, where mankind will return to the tree of life, get kicked out of the garden, tree of life, God puts an angel to protect us so we don't have eternal life in a sinful state, right? And all of the scriptures is now returning us back to the tree of life, eternity future. This is this unfolding redemptive plan. I want you to think of the Old Testament as kind of the acorn, okay, and the New Testament as the oak tree. And so we're supposed to read the Old Testament with New Testament goggles or glasses, right? So that we're seeing this unfolding redemptive plan as we're reading through the Old Testament. I want you guys to begin to think like that as you're reading through Genesis. What are the seeds of faith? What are the breadcrumbs to the gospel? Sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's, it's implicit, but we should be seeing how God is fulfilling Genesis 3, the heel of the man will crush the head of the serpent, unfolding as we go, okay? And so let's park there, right? The first thing we see here this morning, first truth I want to pull out is really the gospel is being presented by God is he's teaching Jacob or Israel about the idea, and here's your first point, repentance and faith, because this is the message of the gospel, And so in in verse one of chapter 35, God says to Jacob, I want you to go back to Bethel and I'm going to circle back to that at the end of the sermon and I want you to worship me there. And so this is what Jacob does in response to that, okay? And so in Genesis 35, verse two, it says, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that you that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Now, some of your uh, versions of the Bible say, put away your idols, okay? Put away your foreign gods. Put away your idols that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. And so I think this is a perfect picture of genuine repentance. Now, I'm gonna spend a portion of this sermon on repentance. In a couple weeks, I'm gonna spend the entire sermon on repentance, all right? Uh, But genuine repentance, because what does Jacob say? He says, put away your idols, okay? Put away your idols. Now, um, it's easy to read that and think little carved statues, right? Or large carved statues and think, I don't don't have any of those. You know, this this doesn't apply to me. Now, I've heard a lot of preachers say that um, we have a God-sized hole in our heart and it and I, and I think that's true. And I, and I think there is, a, in the center of our being, God has knitted us up as worshipers. And so it's not a matter of if you worship. Everybody in the, on the planet worships something. They put something at the core of their being. There's, there's something, even for you, there's something that gets you out of bed in the morning that is beyond the work day or the alarm clock. There's, there's this, what is it that, man, I'm really all about at the end of the day that gets me out of bed. And we're designed in such a way that it needs to be our creator and glorifying him and living for him. And, and really, Maui kind of prayed my sermon. I probably could have brought the worship team out and dismissed you after her prayer, right? But, but it's God's word that illuminates for us that God is to be the center and then living according to his will and his ways is the overflow of a heart being captured by our creator. 
Our problem is we're born into sin. And so our, we don't naturally run to our creator. Our natural inclination of the, you know, human nature is to rebel against God, rebel against our creator. And so what we do is we have this kind of this God-sized hole in the center of our being, and we fill it with everything but God. And this is idolatry, okay? This is your foreign gods. This is the things that at this really, if, if who you are when no one's looking, who, what you're thinking about as you lay your head on the pillow, what, what stresses you out, you know, all of that is really what's at the core of your being. And the problem is, is if anything but God is at the center of our being, it, it really leads us to destruction, Right? So many of our anxieties and the challenges that we face are usually because I'm not depending on the Lord, but instead I, I am depending on this idol, this thing that I think is supposed to bring me happiness and joy and purpose. And, and we, there can be sinful things in the center of us. There can even be good things, things that God calls good, but, but they, they're not to be positioned in the center of our being. And when we place them there, they disappoint us, okay? So let me talk about some idols. Some of you in this room are, are, are filling this hole, this thing in your heart with things like drugs and alcohol. Right? And like no one really knows it. You've kept it hidden. You've kept it secret. And it could be, it could be, it could be illegal drugs. It could be prescription drugs. Right? And so you figured out the system and you figured out how to go to which doctor. To, and man, you're just filling and in they go and it numbs the pain for a while. But the next one's not enough. And eventually that addiction just overwhelms you. And it takes away from all the blessings that God has for you because you're not worshiping the Lord. You're you're trying to numb the ache for whatever reason. By the way, let me take Trace the Rabbit here. So I always say we take up the tariffs at the end of the service. Like we offer an addictions class here and I can't for both men and women and they're excellent. And so, and if you, if you're wrestling with an addiction, I'm going to talk in just a moment about how we have to bring our sin and our idols to light. Like that's a great way to bring it to light and do it in community with men and women that have been there and want to walk with you. Okay. So let us know that. Use that tarot. Say, man, I'm interested in the addiction class. Right. And, and I can be a part of that and we can help you with that. So some of you are feeling that with, like, with drugs and alcohol. So some of you are filling it with relationships. You're, you're, you're dating someone um, or some of you are single and, and the center of your heart is just this desire to be in a relationship, man. And so, and so you're so afraid of loneliness. That, and, and by the way, our loneliness is supposed to be filled first with the Lord and second with Christian community, right? And God has given us the church to make up the difference in loneliness. But some of you, you're just longing. Your whole life is searching for a relationship, searching for a relationship, searching for a relationship. And then in the end, those relationships disappoint. It's not that God didn't give marriage as a good thing, uh, but it's not the central thing, right? The whole has to be filled with God and God alone. And so, man, we can fill it with relationships. Some of you are, um, some of our idols, some of you are filling it with anger, right? 
there's something that happened to you a long time ago. A person did something, you were a victim of something and, and it hurts. And so your mind is just dwelling on that over and over and over. And man, it's just this anger. And every day you're thinking about your victimization. And, and instead of letting God be in the center of your being and forgiveness as the overflow of knowing God, you're angry. And so this idol, what it does is it overflows with anger to everybody. Right? Because that's what's at the center. And so what's at the center is this anger. And, and suddenly you're angry at people and you don't even know why. And people you don't need to be angry with. And, 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 and you're, you know, instead of forgiveness and justice being turned over to the Lord, man, just every, no one wants to be around you because you're angry all the time. Well, it's because at the center is this, man, I got to get back. I got to get back. Some of you, your idol, again, these aren't little statues that we put on our, at our fireplace. Some of your idols this, Right? And uh, my wife, a lot of times people are like, Pastor Sean, I don't even know, I don't know who your wife is. I've never met your wife. That's good. I put her as a little spy in the congregation, okay? And so, and so, so some weeks I come home, you know, and, and she's like, you know, this person was sitting in front of me and they were on their phone the whole time. Now listen, we gather corporately and God doesn't live here, okay? He lives in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit when we know Christ. But man, if you can't gather for an hour in in, in, in worship and, and engage your mind and your heart with the, your creator who wants to have a relationship. Well, you can't do that for an hour without checking your social media page. Like this may very well be an idol. Yes. Amen. That's all the people that don't use Facebook. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> that would be me. I don't use it. And some of you are looking at like sexual sin on here, right? And, and that sexual sin is like it's leading you to lust constantly. You're being consumed with lust and, and ready? I'll, I'll take that a step further. Like some of you are filling your mind with so much sexual sin on there that you're, you're actually battling with thoughts that are, are criminal behaviors, right? And so that's where this goes. And so you're filling your whole and your heart with something with an idol and it's destructive. And so what does Jacob say? He says, genuine repentance, man, it starts with put away the idol. You have to call it out of darkness and call it into light. That means you need to tell God and you need to tell someone. And we've got to stop sugarcoating our idolatry. We have to call it what God calls it. We can't just sugarcoat and say, well, it's just the way I am or I'm wrestling a little bit or it's a small thing. The idols in our heart are sin and we have to call it sin and we have to stop blaming like it's my upbringing or it's this or that. We have to stop blaming the devil, all right? The devil doesn't make you sin. The devil can tempt you, but the devil doesn't make you sin. We sin because we're sinners and we need to be saved from our heart's idols and we need to be saved from our rebellion against God. And so Jacob says, put away your idols, and he says, number two, purify yourself. So we turn away and we turn towards. We turn towards the righteousness and the holiness of God. A couple of weeks ago, I, I think I shocked because I've heard this multiple times over the last couple of weeks. I shocked some people when I said, if you're, if you're having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend outside the bonds of marriage, you're already living in sin. So you need today to go out on the parking lot and break up with that person. And I think that shocks some people. Why would I be that blunt? Well, I'm that blunt because when we're in sin, there's no pathway that somehow sin kind of works its way to purity and righteousness. 
It, we have to break. Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? death. So we can't stay on the path of death. And there's no magical way that somehow sin works itself out to life. And so the best advice I can give you is repent and purify yourself immediately. Okay. That's why I said that. So that you can get on the path of life. And then when you're on the path of life, then God can really show you his will for your life. You can't know God's will when you're already out of God's will. So you have to be in God's will to know as well. Purify yourself, pursue holiness and pursue righteousness. And then Jacob says, and change your garments. So he's instructing his family, like, let's change. Like, like you know, and, and so my, I, I think it's like change where you're going. I think for us, the idea is, is to start with some, some spiritual disciplines in your life, right? At Coastal, we want you to develop as authentic followers of Christ. Three ways. How do we do that? Number one, connect. All right, number two, grow, which means what, church? Be in a. I'm always shocked this time of year. We spend two times a year where we push small groups and we give you every opportunity to be in a small group. I am, it hurts me a little bit, honestly, how, how our numbers are, don't be, aren't near our attendance. Listen, this is not like, this is a biblical New Testament model that you have to walk in community and it's kind of putting on new garments that you, listen, when you repent and you pursue purity, the, the thing you used to spend all that time pursuing sin now has to, that time has to be filled with fresh garments. And so you need to fill your time with things that grow you closer to Christ. Right? And that small group, fill your time and then serve, find a ministry and a mission. Listen, if you've never been a part of our food ministry, you have to come this week and be a part with your family. It's incredible. It's an easy and awesome way to serve. And so the, the, he gives, Jacob gives us a really good picture of repentance when he says, get rid of your idols, purify yourself and change up some fresh garments and follow the Lord. The second part of the gospel message is repent. And number two, it's believe, right? And so that means we, we believe in our God. We worship our God. Genesis 35, three, Jacob goes on to say, then let us arise, go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the, to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So he says, we're going to go. And this idea of an altar is the idea of worshiping the Lord. He's going to be the center of our being. We're going to trust in his promises. And by the way, notice he says, he, we trust him even when it's difficult. I really liked what, what Joel said when he, when he introduced the song, Be Glorified. He said, you know, he said, we, we don't, uh, Actually, I think it was the other song, Living Hope. It was maybe Living Hope, but he said, God didn't, he saved us from our main thing. It's not, he didn't send his son to save us from difficulty and anxiety and depression. That can happen and that can be an overflow. But ultimately he saved us from our sin and then he journeys with us through life. And so Jacob said, all my difficulties, by the way, what's difficulties is he talking about? We well, just spent 20 years with Laban and Laban changed his wages 10 times, right? Yeah, over the 20 year period, that's frustrating. Listen, all my years of talking to people about their income, I have never met anybody that thinks they make too much money, right? Do you make enough money? Yeah, I make plenty. I, I'm more. Most people I meet, right, they feel shortchanged. 
No matter what you do. And listen, I've met some professional athletes, okay? So, you know, it's just the way it is. Like, wherever we are, we think, man, it'd be nice to, you know, be here, you know? You know when you hear an athlete say, it's really not about the money, you know, when their contract comes up, it's about the money. Okay, so... (laughs) So Jacob's like, he's been with me. And then he had to go and reconcile with his brother, and he literally thought he was going to get killed. Why did he think he was going to get killed? Because his mom said, your brother Esau is livid, I want you to go to Laban's house and don't come back until I send for you. Did his mom ever send for him? No, God sent him back. So in his mind, he's like, my brother must still be ticked because mama ain't never sent for me yet. Okay, so and so he thought he was going to get killed. And yet the Lord rescued him. And so listen, the Lord worshiping God is not that we don't ever have challenges. It's that he walks with us through our difficulties. And so it's repent and believe which is a picture of the gospel, okay, which is number, letter C. Jesus fulfills the idea of repentance and belief. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so Genesis 35 finds its fulfillment in Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of repentance and belief. And what is it that we believe in, church, when it comes to Christ? We believe in his person and his work. Okay, so let me, let me park there for a minute, all right? The person of Christ is that Jesus claimed to be deity, all right? Jesus claimed to be deity. He, he was much more than a teacher and a good prophet. Of course, we know... You know, if you know your Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus fulfilled the, the offices of prophet, priest, and king. He fulfilled all of those, but he was even more than that, right? I mean, and we see that when, when Jesus would come up to someone that was paralyzed or someone that had a physical ailment, and he would walk up to him and say, hey, um, your sins are forgiven. And everyone would go, what? Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus would say, what? Well, to show you that I have the ability to, and then he would ask the question, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk? What's easier to say? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because that's really hard to prove. What's the harder thing to do? The harder thing to do is to forgive sins. If you're God, the harder thing to do is to forgive sins. The easier thing to do is to heal. So he says, to prove that I have the ability to forgive sins, rise up, take up your mat, walk, and go home, right? And so his heal, the ability to heal people was, a, was showing off, hey, I'm deity, I'm God in flesh, And so his person, he's the Messiah. He's the special one sent from God. And what's his work? Three things about the work of Jesus. Number one, he lived a perfect life. That's essential to our salvation. It's essential that Jesus was without sin because a couple reasons. Number one, the wages of sin is what death, is what death, right? And so the only person that didn't deserve to die is who? Jesus, yeah, he didn't have any ways of sin, which means he's the only person that ever walked the earth that actually chose death. He chose it. And so he lived a perfect life. He chose death and his death was substitutionary, meaning God poured out his wrath and hatred on sin on his son, Jesus. Okay, and so he died on the cross. He bears the, the sin, the guilt of sin. And then they laid him in a grave and he overcame the consequences of sin, which is death, by rising from the grave. 
Okay, and so the Bible is very clear when we repent of our sin and we believe in Jesus. And this is where his life comes in, his perfect life, his perfect righteousness, his perfect living now gets credited to us by grace alone through faith alone. And so when we repent and believe, we fill that God sized hole in our heart with Christ. And then in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to move and operate and work as our God would have us move and operate and work. And so the overflow of the, of the Spirit of God living in us is that we begin to look more and more like our God. We're growing to be more like Christ. So, we, so our God is forgiving, so we become forgiving. Our God is gracious, so we become gracious. Our God is kind, so we become kind. All those idols in your heart, the overflow of them is all the evil of the things of the world. It's only when God fills the hole that we become more like our God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, number two. Second thing that happens in this passage that I want to highlight is that God reaffirms his promises and his purposes for Jacob, okay? And then I'm going to point this to us, and I'm going to move quickly. Genesis 35, here we go. So God appeared to Jacob again, and when he came to Padaram, he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name, okay? And we saw this last week, so God does it again, okay? And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because a nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from you, from your own body. And the land that I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, I give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. And then God went up from, from him in the place where he had spoken to him. So a couple things. Number one, God reminds Jacob again of his name. God reminds Jacob of his name. And last week we learned what Israel meant. What does Israel mean? Anybody remember? To wrestle with God, right? To cling to God, to persevere with God. If you're here today, I want to remind you. Some of you are living down to your old name. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you have a new name. The sin of your past doesn't apply. First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and do what? Anybody? Cleanse us from what? Some unrighteousness? No, all unrighteousness. And so, man, we walk with a new name. And so some of you are still living down to your old name of adulterer, fornicator, and drug addict, and murderer, and prostitute, and porn addict, and divorcee. But God's saying, man, he, you have a new name in Christ. Why? Because God said so. That's why. He's God Almighty, and if he declares it, it's true. And we could go through all the names of the New Testament that were now given in Christ. Names like holy and saint and servant and set apart and special and masterpiece and chosen. These are just some of the new name that has been given to you in Christ. Good stuff, right? How many of y'all get up in the morning, you're, you're beating yourself up? Sometimes I think we need to look in the mirror and say, I'm in Christ. And we look in the mirror and go, man, what a masterpiece. All right? It's going bad through the years, but it used to be better. All right? But 
And so some of you are living down. There's some parent, you're one of your parents just in a moment of weakness, or maybe it got repeated to you, you know, 40 years ago, you're still living down to that name that says, man, you'll never amount to anything. And God says, that's not true, man. I've created you with a purpose, and with a promise. And some of you are living down to some, something that a, a teacher or a coach or maybe even a pastor said to you in a moment of weakness and a moment of stupidity. And we got to remember what God says about us. Some of you are believing what Satan continues to whisper in your ear about who you used to be. You're not that anymore. And part of this disciplining ourselves to gather for corporate worship, because some of you are like, didn't you make this point last week? Yes. And as you went out into the world, the world beat you up this week and you started living down to your old name and we got to gather for corporate worship to be reminded, I have a new name in Christ. Amen. Amen. Number two, God reminds Jacob, letter B, he's following, who he's following, he's following God Almighty. Listen, as Christians, we worship and serve God Almighty, right? Literally, it's the word El Shaddai. It means almighty. It means overpowerer. It means the rock, the strength. It means that when God said, whatever God says goes, it means his promises are true, his promises are best, his power is supreme, and he makes his promises happen. Nothing stops him. Jacob, get up and go to Bethel. Why? Because I'm God Almighty. Let's run to the New Testament for a minute. Why doesn't God, when you become a Christian, just kind of take you out of the earth and run you right up to heaven? Why does he do that? Why does he leave us here to struggle? Why does he leave us here to go through difficult times? Because as we now no longer worship our idols, we now worship him at the center of our being. When we go through difficult times, as we go through our life, we're now on mission to uplift the fame and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've been commissioned through all that we go through to uplift the fame of Christ. That coworker that drives you crazy, it's no accident you work next to them. Amen. That roommate that doesn't pick up their stuff and, you know, out till hours of the night, can't, there's no accident you're rooming with that person. That husband, never mind, we won't go, okay, there's like, <laughs> that spouse. Those are your opportunities to bring glory and fame to the one who's now at the center of your being. Amen. You're commissioned. Right? So when we run this through the New Testament, Christ has commissioned us to fulfill the Great Commission, and it's bookended by the power of Christ. He says at both ends of the Great Commission, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. And finally, God reminds Jacob of his promise. Three things. Jacob remi God reminds Jacob of his promise, which is three things. Nations, kings, and land. And so I'm going to run these through the New Testament. Nations, number one, is what I just talked about, the Great Commission. The nation of Israel, the reason they were blessed, the reason they were this chosen people, the reason the Lord singled them out was they were to point all nations to Christ. And so Christ has taken their commissioning and he's given it to who? The church, Right? And so we see this in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples, Jesus said, of what? All nations. All nations. Let me tell you something, church. 
You're a part of a church. This is your home church. You're a part of a church that takes this commissioning very seriously. All na- and so do we think we should reach Yorktown and the peninsula? Absolutely. And I want you to be passionate about inviting people to church and taking the gospel out and using your influence to uplift the gospel. We also think we should be passionate about reaching our nation. And we think we should be passionate about reaching all nations. In fact, one of the things we're in the process of doing this year, we're partnering with a, a group called the Timothy Initiative. We're going to have the founder here in the fall speaking to you guys. And, and you guys are a part of, of doing a training center to plant churches in Thailand where we've done some investigation. God's just doing some stuff in our body. Some of y'all went and know about it, but, but we're getting ready to partner with the Timothy Initiative and we're going over there. I think, Bill, you're getting ready to go with Pastor Andrew and we're getting ready to train over 20 pastors. Am I not right? That we're going to be partnering with them to train them and plant 20 plus churches in Thailand. Yes. Now you should cheer, man. That's exciting stuff. And so when you give to Coastal, some of your money's going there and we're going to be a part of this commissioning. Why? The commissioning is all nations. You want to get really excited? As you, that's your purpose, part of your purpose as you're here, as you're part of the commissioning that Christ has given us. Let's guess what? Our God is true to his promises. This commissioning doesn't fail. Good news? And how do I know? Because I see in Revelation as John gets this little glimpse into heaven. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude. See, a lot of people think that the church is like this, like this little thing that doesn't, the gospel's not effective. Listen, I'm optimistic about the Bible. I don't care what our culture goes. I don't care what our government does. In fact, I think that the more that the culture opposes the church and the more the government squeezes the church, the more effective the church is going to be. Okay? So let's stop with this woe is me and like, man, oh my goodness, America. Like maybe, I don't know what's going to happen to America, but I know that the church is going to be effective. Why? Because Revelation says, after this I looked and behold, there was a great number. How big? So big, no one could number them. And guess where they came from? Every nation, all the tribes, all the peoples, all the languages. And they stood before the throne, before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. In other words, they were worshiping God. Isn't that great news? And we get to be a part of that. I get excited about this stuff. Can't you tell? Okay, so <clears throat> imagine if I got another hour of sleep. Um, number two, <laughs> promise to Jacob. I got to keep moving. King of kings. He's promised to have kings, right? Jacob, you're going to have kings, many kings come out of your downline. So the Old Testament has three offices, prophets, priest, and king, and Christ fulfills all of those offices. But I want to focus on one. Jacob was promised kings, and the ultimate king that will crush the head of Satan, Genesis 3.15, is Jesus, and he is the king of kings, okay? So when you're reading your Bible, and I've been encouraging you to read your Bibles, right, and you get to the begats, you know what the begats are? Like so-and-so begats, so-and-so begats, and you're like, why is this here? Like, oh, this genealogy is so boring, right? And why is this in there? It's in here because God is letting us know that he's fulfilling his covenant promises that he made to the patriarchs, and they find their fulfillment in Christ. And so the authors are tying in the family downline to remind us that what God said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to happen to the birth of Christ who is, and we use this for, to describe Christ often, he is the what? The king of what? Kings, king of kings, 
right? And we see this in Luke chapter one when the angel shows up and tells Mary that she has the Messiah in her womb. And she says this, and these words are not by accident. They are to remind us that God, a promise that he made thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, he hasn't forgotten about and he's gonna see it through. He says, he, describing Christ, will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of what? Oh, Jacob. What's that doing in there? He's reminding us Jacob got a promise that there was going to be kings. And this king who came through the downline of David is going to be the king of kings. Why do we say that? Because he is going to rule over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be what, church? No end. Isn't that great news? Why does this matter? Well, it matters because our Lord is true to his promises. He made a promise to Jacob. It took a while. Took a couple thousand years, okay? But God is true to his promises. And that gives me hope because one day you're going to lay this decaying masterpiece body in a grave, okay? But the Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. Now, the Bible tells us to be absent of the bodies to be present with the Lord. I believe our soul goes to be with the Lord, but we're waiting for the return of Christ where body and soul reunite. And so it may take a week after I pass away. It may take 10,000 years. I don't know. But at some point, man, God will fulfill the promises he made. And man, we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever with glorified bodies. Isn't that great? Our God is true to his promises because he's the king of kings. Finally, the land blessing. The land, the idea of the land is that God blesses his people to be a blessing. God blesses his people to be a blessing. And so the promise, the idea of the land promise is the idea that God's people are blessed to be a blessing. And I really believe this. God often, not always, okay? Not always, but God often blesses those that righteously follow him to be a blessing to others. And I think we see this all throughout the Old Testament, even when there's corrupt, evil governments, whether it be Joseph being sold into slavery, it be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a, in a foreign land. God raises them up in the power and he blesses them. Listen, if you're here this morning and you live on the peninsula, you're in the top probably one to 2% wealthiest people in the world. You are. And so what, is, what does God tell us about people that have been blessed? First Timothy 6, Paul, the apostle Paul says this. He says, as for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I have the incredible privilege this morning to preaching to, I don't know, what will, attendance will be low today because of time change, but which we're all going to unify and change that law. Um, so um, maybe 1,100, 1,200 people. Imagine if 1,200 people left this morning and this week we did something generous with some income. Just unexpected we blessed some people. Think that make a difference on the peninsula? Yes. We've been blessed to be a blessing. Okay, so let me finish with this, all right? I see too many Christians that, that are stuck. They're, they're like 
They're like they're two, those two kids in the basketball game and they're just kind of going up and down through life and there's great stuff happening all around them and they're just kind of doing this. And I think it's because we're, we're still really living down to our old name. We're still, there's idols in our heart that invade the space where God belongs. And I think too many Christians, if we're really honest, God is on the periphery and we love our idols and we love the world and we love our sin. And I want to encourage you, man, God has so much more for you. And so here's my conclusion this morning. It's found in Genesis 35, verse one. Ready? Here it is. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Some of you are like, so am I supposed to move to the Middle East? You know, so is the, no, the word Bethel means where God meets with his people. So let's run it through the New Testament. Acorn to the oak tree. Where does God meet with his people? In Christ. God meets with his people in Christ. Stop trifling with your idols and flee to Christ. When Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, what he was saying is, I want you to be consumed with me. Did you know that you can read through the Bible in a year if you give it 15 minutes a day? Why are we not reading through our scriptures so we know our God? We don't have 15 minutes a day? Well, it's because we love our idols. We love being stuck. And Jacob, go to Bethel and dwell there. Stop, stop loving your idols. Repent of your sin. Stop settling for believing in your old name. Stop loving your money more than being generous. Let's go to Bethel in Christ. Let's dwell there. Let's be in his word. The message of the scripture is never sit. It's get up and go. So stop sitting in your pig pen. Stop sitting in your sin. Stop sitting in your, in your idolatry. Repent and believe in the things that God has for you. And in Christ, God has given us a new name. And in Christ, God Almighty is with us to fulfill his promises. Let's live on purpose. And the purpose is to bring glory to our God. So when you're dwelling with Christ and you're going through a hard time, people go, what in the world is going on there? Oh, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about his power. Let me tell you about his promise. Let me tell you about his sustaining grace. Let me tell you how he helped me forgive that person. Let me brag on God. When God is in the center of our being, the overflow is, man, let me brag on him. Let's be a people that brags on God. Amen? Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Christ. We would be lost without him. Heavenly Father, I pray for the people in this room, even Christians, God, the sins, our idols, it crowds out all that you have for us. Help us to repent of sin. Let's not to indulge our idols. Let's bring the idols, bring the darkness to light, God. By the power of your spirit, help us to be unsettled and restless until we get the stuff out of the center of our life that doesn't need to be there. And help us to dwell with Christ feast on Christ. And that means we love what Christ loves. We love, we love his people. We love his word. We love holiness. We love righteousness. 
Let us be filled with the Spirit, that the overflow of the Spirit would be the fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace, patience and kindness. God, we're not serving dead religion. We're serving a living Savior who gives us a living hope. So I pray that the overflow of our lives would be the people around us would notice the difference. That we can tell people, why do you have that hope? Well, I have a living Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's go out singing.